If you don't know me, as Lee said a little bit earlier, my name is Ben and I am the vicar here at St. Thomas's, which is a real joy and privilege. Now, I just want to start before we get into the sermon today to tell you what I'm thankful for um, this week. So over the past few weeks, we have been seeing God do some extraordinary things all over the world and particularly with young people. Just over a month ago now, at an ordinary university chapel service in the States, um, an ordinary chapel service turned into a 24-7 renewal movement of the Holy Spirit, which drew tens of thousands of young people from all over the nation just to be in the presence of God. Now, that university was Asbury University in a tiny little village, really, called Wilmore, Kentucky. Now, some of you will know that I'm doing some further study at the minute at Asbury Theological Seminary, which is the university just over the road. And I've been away on a residential this week, receiving some teaching. And one of the people that was teaching us was one of the first, per one of the first people in um, to that chapel after it all kicked off. And he was basically saying it's an extraordinary move of the Holy Spirit. And he was saying it's marked by these things. Firstly, a deep sense of the presence of God. Secondly, holiness. Thirdly, repentance. And lastly, that there's no big names involved. There's no big personalities involved. He said the worship at times was pretty interesting. There's no flashy sound systems, but the presence of God is there. And we're seeing similar things happen all over the place at the moment in the UK as well. Um, if you just come to our morning service, let me just tell you about what's been happening um, at our evening service where lots of students and young adults come to. For the past month, um, our evening service has been finishing at half 11, midnight, one o'clock. Um, young people just want to be in the presence of God. Last week, it was so moving to see young people just on their knees in repentance and crying out to God for a, for a move of the Spirit with their housemates or their course mates or the people that are on their streets. And the same thing is happening all over the place. I've spoke to church leaders in Manchester, Sheffield, London, who are all seeing the same thing. On Monday night, because my teaching was in London this week, I went to a midweek prayer meeting at King's Cross Anglican Church, um, just a, a local church. At their midweek prayer meeting, there was about 250 20-something-year-olds at their midweek prayer meeting. It went on for hours just so people could be in the presence of God. And so before we go any further today, I'd love us to pray, come Holy Spirit, that God would set our hearts on fire with love for Him, that we might be able to say that Jesus' presence, the presence of God, is all we need. In fact, God can have everything else. All we want is his presence. And, and when we want God above everything else, that's where God moves. God goes where he's wanted. And the theme of our Bible reading today is going to challenge us as to whether we really want God or not. You'll see why as we go through it. And so before we go any further, let's just pray, come Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit of God. Send us. 
set our hearts on fire, we pray, with love for you. Those things that we put before you, God, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that we choose you above everything else. And Lord, we pray for an increase in the number of healings and salvations that we're seeing. An increase in the number of miraculous occurrences that we're seeing. And God, we pray that this region would not be the same again. Come, Holy Spirit. Oh man. And we're going to be doing some more waiting on God um, a little bit later on. Now for the past few weeks, we've been in a teaching series called Vision 2023. And we've been looking at how we're compelled by the grace and love of God to pray, your kingdom come God, your will be done in the northeast as in heaven. And we've looked at how we might be invited to play our small part in seeing a church planting movement across the Northeast that would see the culture of the Northeast changed forever. And we've been thinking about how, what it looks like to see the kingdom of God come in every sphere of society. And this year we've been thinking about what it means for us to follow Jesus, build community and love Newcastle. Follow Jesus as we prioritise encounter with God. Encounter with God changes everything. As we build community to think about radical family and as we love Newcastle, Lee was helping us think um, last week about how we give away what we've been given in radical generosity. And today we're going to continue to look at how we're a people who should be marked by generosity. And it General, that affects everything, every single part of our lives. Now, some of you, as soon as I said that we're looking at generosity or when you saw it advertised in the week on social media or whatever, you may have thought, oh my gosh, the vicar is just going to talk at me for half an hour about money and why I need to give to the work of the church. It's so typical, the church, all they want is my money. The truth, church, is that here at St. Thomas's, we're committed to teaching the whole Bible. The comfortable bits, the uncomfortable bits, the bits that challenge the way we live, what we do with our bodies, what we do with our mouths, what we say, the, the way we listen, and the way that we think about our finances. And the reality is that in the Gospels, Jesus talks about money as much as he talks about anything else and we'll see why as we go through the Bible passage that I'm going to read to us in just a moment together. Now here's just some things just to get us to think about how we as a culture think about money and behave about money at the moment. Did you know that the world's eight richest people have a combined net worth of the bottom 50% of the world's population? Eight individuals own more financial wealth than 50% of the world's population. And it's not just a problem out there. Here in the UK, the wealthiest 10% of households own over half of all the country's 
wealth. The top 10% of UK households own half of all the country's wealth. The bottom 50% of financial wealth only hold 9%. Patriarch Pavle of Serbia said this, Unfortunately, there are some very poor people in our society whose parents couldn't give them anything except money. And it's not just Christians who've discovered that giving is good for us. In fact, most wealthy people, celebrities, will often talk about the fact that money will not make them happy. They may have pursued it forever, but it does not fulfill them. Jim Carrey famously said this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that money is not the answer. So, money is one of Jesus's favourite subjects. Why? Well, it's one of Jesus's favourite subjects because when Jesus is talking about money, he's actually talking about so much more than money. When Jesus is talking about money, he's actually talking about the condition of our hearts. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart shall also be. Jesus talks about money because he wants your heart. Jesus talks about treasure because he wants your heart. Now church, we are called to have our hearts marked by generosity. The early church was marked by generosity. Julian, who was a Roman emperor who wanted rid of Christians, he found it really difficult to find a strategy to get rid of Christians from the Roman Empire. And he famously complained to people that the reason that he couldn't get rid of Christians was this. They not only feed their own part poor, but they feed ours as well. They don't just feed their own poor, they feed ours as well. Christians are supposed to be people that are marked by radical generosity with everything, including our wallets. And the overflow of a generous heart, as we've been thinking about all this series, is that other people are impacted as the stuff that God does in us flows out to others. So let's have a look at our Bible passage today. We're looking at the well-known story of the widow and her coins. And I'm going to read it from two different Gospels because it's a very short reading just to have maximum impact. Luke 21 and Mark 12. Luke and Mark both tell this story. Um, So turn to Luke chapter 21 first. And as you do that, just some context. This is Luke 21 verse, um, verse 1. In the verses just before Luke 21, Jesus has been teaching his disciples about not just doing things for show, about not just doing things to look good. And immediately after Jesus has finished this teaching, there comes a visual demonstration of what this might look like. So Luke chapter 21, verses 1 to 4. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. 
I'll tell the story again from Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. And quick question, do you still think that Jesus watches how much people give with their finances, how our hearts are postured towards generosity? Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came in and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Jesus called his disciples and said, truly I tell you, this poor widow was put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of her wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. Church, this is the word of the Lord. So turn back to Luke's gospel, Luke 21, verse 1. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich people putting their gifts into the temple treasury. Now, isn't this fantastic? These rich people displaying how generous they are in front of everyone by putting their gifts into the giving plate. Was Jesus impressed by this show of generosity? Were the disciples impressed by this show of generosity? Well, if they were, they should have been listening to Jesus' teaching on giving throughout all of the rest of the Gospels. In the Sermon on the Mount, this is Matthew chapter 6. This is what Jesus teaches on generosity. You don't have to turn to this, I'll read it to you. This is Matthew 6 verses 1 to 2. Jesus says this, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. When you give, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Do not announce your giving with trumpets. Now, have you ever thought, if you've read the Sermon on the Mount, that's a bit of an odd phrase, a bit of an odd saying, do not announce your giving with trumpets. Well, a bit of context for us here. The giving boxes in the temple were shaped in the shape of a trumpet. So when you walked into, into the temple, there was a giving plate and it, was, and it was made out of metal and it was shaped in the place of the trumpet. And in fact, the trumpets was their name. That's what they were known as. And they were made um, out, out of metal and shaped like a ram's horn. And so when you put money in, guess what? The noise would reverberate all around the temple. And so people would be able to tell how much money you had given. And so what used to happen was that very rich people used to have a competition as to how much that they could give. And so you might get two rich people, usually religious leaders. So in our day, that might be me and Lee. And we'd approach the trumpet, not that we're wealthy, but you know. They'd approach the trumpet and in order to look good, one of them might... That's impressive, isn't it? Look how much I just gave. (laughs) And one of them might make a fool out out of himself by by missing. (laughs) What? That was an even louder bang. That's two of them. Three of them. Four. I've only got another. 
I only gave two. <laughs> Lee wins. And this would go on and on and on. People would stand there announcing their giving on the trumpets so that they could be seen as generous and good in front of everybody's eyes. Now Jesus is saying, don't be like that. But isn't that exactly what is happening here in Luke 21? These wealthy people arrive and they're throwing in all of their coins. What Jesus is getting at here is why we give. Why is it that we give to anybody, to charity, to the church, to the work of God? Why is it that we give? Jesus doesn't want us just to give for human praise. He wants us to give out of generosity and overflow of our hearts. Otherwise, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, when we give, we're just like the hypocrites. Because we're giving not really to be generous, but we're giving for the approval of others. Now, let me tell you a story about something that I did a few years ago. Um, a few of us were going out for dinner and um, it was a lovely meal. And I thought, wouldn't it be amazing if I paid for everybody? I paid the bill, I paid for everybody. And so... Um, this meal was, fun, was fantastic. And towards the end of the meal, I pretended to go to the toilet. But what I really did was go to the, you know, where the cash register and I paid for everybody's bill. And I came back and sat down at the table feeling pretty smug with myself. And then somebody else on the table asked the waiter for the bill. And so the waiter went to get the bill and came back and said, I'm sorry, it's already been paid. And I was hoping that the waiter would give a nod to me or, you know, a little wink. And then everybody on the table would know that I'd been generous and that I had paid the bill. But he didn't. He just said, it's been paid. And he walked off. Nobody looked at me. Everyone started talking about who, who it might be in the restaurant. And I walked away from there feeling pretty deflated. Why? Because I wanted recognition that I was the one who'd been generous. In Jesus' eyes, I was a hypocrite. I was giving for approval of others rather than just out of the overflow of generosity from my heart. So how can you give and not be a hypocrite? We'll look at verse 2 of Luke chapter 21. He also saw a widow, a poor widow, put in two very small copper coins. Now here we meet as I'm teaching this, there's literally an audible demonstration of trumpets going on from the kids' room. Um, so here we meet the hero of our story today, a widow, a woman with very little legal status. And notice that these are the people who are often the heroes of Jesus' teaching and stories. Um, this is a male-dominated society. She no longer had a husband to earn any money. She'd have been very, very poor and she comes in the temple to give her offering to God and she very very quietly places two small copper coins into the offering and they're not even worth Mark tells us in Mark's gospel they're not even worth a fraction of a penny in fact they were leptons the original Greek which in modern money is worth one fortieth 
of a pence. Now, as the people are watching this, they've just heard the giving plates go off. And then this woman comes and just puts two tiny little coins in. What do you think people are thinking? They're thinking, oh my gosh, she's so tight. Why is she so stingy? Why is she not giving more to the work of God? In comparison to the hypocrites, all the rich people who've given so much, why is she giving so little? Now notice what Jesus says to the disciples about this woman's giving in verse three. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All of these people gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty gave all she had to live on. Now Jesus is saying to his disciples, listen, he'll probably huddle them together afterwards and he just said, listen up team, I'm telling you that this woman gave more than everybody else combined in the temple today. Now how can this be? The maths doesn't add up. The trumpets haven't gone off for her like they did for everybody else. How is she given more? She's given more because she gave everything. William Barclay in his commentary on this Bible passage said this, real giving must be sacrificial. The amount of the gift never matters so much as the cost to the giver. It's not the size of the gift, but the sacrifice. Real generosity gives until it hurts. For many of us, this is a challenge now, for many of us, it is a real question if ever our giving to God's work is any sacrifice at all. Few people will do without their pleasures to give a little more to the work of God. It may well be, this is challenging to hear, it may well be a sign of the decadence of the Western church and the failure of our Christianity that gifts have to be coaxed out of disciples and that often they will not give at all unless they get something back in the way of goods or services. There can be few of us that read this story without being challenged. Now, when I read that, first time I read that, comment from William Barclay, I thought, ouch, am I really being generous? Am I giving? Do I feel the facts that I'm giving? Or does it just go out of my bank account in a direct debit and I don't even notice it? Church is not supposed to be like a golf club or a Spotify account or a Netflix subscription or a subscription to Amazon prime. We're called to be generous. Now, when I, read this, when I read this story, I'm thinking, is my giving really at that level? Am I like this widow? Or in what way is my giving like the religious people? It may look good, but in reality, I'm holding back lots and lots of stuff for God. And this is why when Jesus talks about money, he's actually talking about our hearts because it gets right to the heart of who we are. And ultimately, Jesus would say, it gets right to the heart of whether we understand the gospel or not. And again, this is challenging for me. Last night, Ellie and I had dinner together. And after dinner, we thought that we'd get some chocolate out. So we have a little bit in our, um, a little section of one of our kitchen cupboards, which is dedicated to chocolate. In fact, we've got a chocolate box in our lounge. 
It's a little wooden box that Ellie's dad made and there's usually an open bar of chocolate in it. Now, Ellie, Ellie wanted some chocolate after dinner last night. And so we went to the chocolate section of our kitchen cupboard and we pulled out some boxes of chocolate that, believe it or not, were actually out of date. Like, they'd been there for ages. Look, like, these were like luxury praline chocolate things and they were out of date. They'd passed their best before. And as I was getting these out of the cupboard, I thought, oh my gosh, this is like a visual representation of the way that I and lots of us think about money. We try and store it away and keep it for a rainy day, but one day it'll be far too late and it'll be worthless. Let's not be like, don't be like the vicar who stores his chocolate away and it becomes useless, is what I'm saying. Instead, give away what you have been given. Now, the remedy for having a generous heart is not for me as the vicar to stand up here and tell you to give more. It's not for me to preach to myself and say, Ben, you really should be doing a better job and you really should be giving more and more and more. The remedy for this is not even for me to say that several studies have been conducted that show that people who give away money experience lower levels of stress, greater levels of happiness and generally better mental health. The reason to give is not because it promotes greater unity and community, because we all give to the sh a shared common thing, although that's a good thing as well. The remedy isn't even for me to say that, look, church, the reason that we should give is because when we give our money, we have to then rely on God and God alone. It strengthens our faith. It builds us up. It makes us more risk-taking for the kingdom of God because we have to rely on what God has given us. Now, all of those things are good, but the real remedy for, having, for us having a transformed and generous heart is for us to remember the gospel. God gave everything for us. Everything. The Father sent the Son to die the most excruciating death on the cross so that we could be free. How could we not give everything in return? Our whole lives. And this isn't just about money. This is about the way we use our homes, the way we bless people with the physical possessions that we have. It's about the way that we're generous towards others in terms of hospitality. This should affect everything. But the hard thing is that it also does affect our wallets. One, of the, um, one figure in early church history, I've forgotten who, it might have been Martin Luther, said that the last part of somebody to be converted is usually their wallet. Now, when we remember all that Jesus did and we let his grace, his life, his death, his resurrection, when we let that define us, money will become more than, well, money will become just money. It won't be the thing that has a stronghold on us and defines us. When we think about money in those terms, we can be generous with it. And we remember that God sacrificially gave for us. And we remember that generosity always requires sacrifice. And then it just becomes a normative part of our discipleship. We often sing here, there's a hymn that we often sing, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And that hymn speaks of the amazing sacrifice and love of Jesus, that through Jesus' death and resurrection, we get eternal life. We get access to everything of God's. We couldn't earn it, but he did it for us anyway. 
And the last verse of that hymn goes like this. Were the whole realm of nature mine. In other words, if everything in all of the universe belonged to me, were the whole realm of nature mine, even that would be an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Even if we owned everything in the universe and laid it at the feet of Jesus, even that would not be enough in terms of a physical offering. Now, I think we might be singing it later because I heard the band soundcheck. We're not, con- we're not uh, conferred on this. But when we sing that verse, do we really mean it? Were the whole realm of nature mine, even that would be an offering far too small. Now, the reality is, church, that as I speak today, people are being persecuted for their faith. People will give their lives for following Jesus today. And I find it difficult to be generous with what God has given, the physical stuff that God, what God has given me. This is deeply, deeply challenging, isn't it? And this church is for all of us. Um, when I was a curate at St. Michael of Belfry, I remember um, the vicar's children always during the collection putting a tenth of their pocket money into the collection plate as it went round. Now, I bet that those kids will grow up and continue to do the same for the rest of their lives. It's much easier to give when you start giving little when you have little and suddenly learn to be generous out of what God has given you when you're suddenly earning tens and tens of thousands of pounds, as some of you will do, students who are here now. Um, I learned to give when I was a student. I just got into the practice and the habit of, of giving away some of what God had given me and just got into the weekly and monthly habit of giving away. And it was one of the best things that I ever did. It makes me rely on God. It stretches my faith. But it reminds me every single time I give that there's a God who gave everything for me. C.S. Lewis said this, the only things we can keep are the things that we freely give to God. What we try to keep for ourselves is just what we are sure to lose. We can't take it with us, church. What we get to keep are the things that we freely give to God. Why? Because we're co-heirs with Jesus and everything that belongs to him actually belongs to us anyway. Now, Paul wrote this, 2 Corinthians 9, verses 7 to 8. And this is what I want to land on today. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. That means just because Ben's done a talk on giving. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, I really do believe that this is a practice, the spiritual discipline of generosity, of giving that everybody can engage with. 
Some of you will know that um, St. Thomas's was relaunched three and a half um, years ago. The first person to set, to set up a standing order, a direct debit to the work of St. Thomas's, was a university student. All of us can practice the spiritual discipline of giving. Now, I just want us to think about three things as we've gone through these verses together. Firstly, where do I need to be more generous? Where am I, where am I behaving like the Pharisees and displaying my generosity in terms of, you know, being like a clanging the, clanging the trumpets? Where do I need to be more generous? What am I holding back for myself? What am I holding back for myself? One theologian once said, if you want to know what you really worship, have a look at your bank account. What am I holding back for myself? And in what ways is Jesus asking me to become more like this widow and ultimately to become more like him? Now, you'll know that um, we're attaching a little practice to each of our um, each of the things that we've been looking at in the, in the vision series. So we thought about inviting people to church. We thought about praying for people. We thought about um, doing acts of hospitality, all of these kinds of things. And as the band come and join me um, up here now, the practice for us this week is very simple. And it's just a couple of questions for us to think about. Firstly, if you already give to well, all kinds of things. Some of you may give to charities, Christian organisations, um, stuff in the city that's making a difference in the life of the city. Um, some of you may already be giving to the work of St Thomas's. If any of those are you, then thank you so much. Um, your giving does make a difference. On the back of this Bible passage, I'm challenging myself and I'd like to offer the challenge to all of us who are already giving. Is our giving radically generous do we feel it that's a question that I'm asking myself if you already give thank you and ask the Holy Spirit is what I'm giving what you want me to be giving the reason we talk about this is not because we like talking about money. It's because ultimately it's a discipleship issue. It's about the gospel. And secondly, if you're not already giving, can you start to give today? And it may be that you can't. There'll be lots of reasons why it's difficult to give and that's absolutely fine. Let me just read these verses that Paul wrote again. I'll try and contextualise them for us sat here this morning. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not what the vicar's told you to give. Not what you feel guilted into giving. No, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. And church, the reason that we give is because we remember the gospel, but also it makes a difference. 
if we're going to see a church planting movement that's going to see the northeast transformed over the next two decades as we plant churches across the diocese that is going to take some money if we want to see our children discipled and our young people discipled um, here at church through children's groups and youth groups that does take some money we give to a cause the cause is the kingdom of God and trans the transformation of the northeast but isn't that worth it so there's going to be a giving slide come up on the screens behind us now and can I invite you to stand and we're going to sing a song before Joanna leads us in communion where we remember that God has given everything for us he's such a generous God and as this giving slide comes up the band are going to sing over us and I'd love us to be asking if, you, if I already give, Holy Spirit, am I giving what you're calling me to give? And if I'm not giving, is this, can I start today? Even if it's, you may be a student here, even if you start just by giving a pound a week or something, it will make such a difference to your life. St. Thomas.church forward slash give and you can give either through a one-off donation on, on there um, or you can set up a regular planned giving thing um, which really helps us at the, at the church budget um, properly if it's, if it's um, regular and planned but you just do some business with God now and ask him in what ways Father are you challenging me to be like this widow and you may want to get out your phone um, and go to that page you may want to pray with somebody next to you and the band are just going to sing over us now and we do this not because the vicar tells you to, but because Jesus gave everything for you. How could we not give everything in return?